Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Well, hello, my name is Enrique. I don't know if uh, some of you guys have heard me speak before. I'm really blessed and honored. I want to thank Pastor George for always giving me an opportunity to speak and pour into his church, speak to his sheep. It's always an honor. I've been blessed by this ministry, and it's always a blessing to sow back into it. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles. we got a Christmas message today. Oh, you're laughing at first. Let's look at, watch the verse. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's going to start, at least as a Christmas message. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited. I get excited when I speak because it's, it's my gift, right? It's how I connect with the Lord. So that's why we always talk about your gift, guys. If you're, if you're here, we want you to get involved. We want you to walk in that gifting. My heart comes alive when I, when I get a message. My heart comes alive when the Word of God speaks to me. And um, it's literally my pleasure to share with you the heart of the Lord. So let's look at one, Luke one twenty six. I have a lot to cover today. And I just want to say I'm just, I know that was the Lord earlier because I really felt my message did not have an altar call. <laughs> Um, and, you know, as a minister, that's always something, okay, Lord, as, you, as I wrap up the message, as I begin to put a bow on it, as I prepare my notes, how, you know, am I calling an altar call? Am I, what are we praying for? And it really, really wasn't anything. And I just felt like there wasn't going to be an altar call. <laughs> and I almost was going to say that to you in the meeting. And, and I just, I didn't say anything. And then we come here and the Lord did the altar call <laughs> before the message. So I was like, that worked out perfectly. Because I believe God, there's a time and place for everything, right? There's a time and different season where us as ministers, pastors, leaders, preachers, we have different reasons for delivering different messages. I believe this morning is more of a word of the Lord. I mean, I believe it's, I want to get in the Bible. Guys, one of the weaknesses in the church is we don't know the Bible. We don't know the Bible. We don't know the word of God. And we don't want that to happen with this congregation. We want you guys to be equipped. We want you to know the word of the Lord. And what I mean by that is not just know Scripture, but understand it. With understanding, when you get Scripture and you read the Bible and you have understanding, you can easily tell it to somebody. And when that gets in you, it changes how you live. It changes how you interpret situations around you. For example, last Sunday, what a powerful message, right? That's the word of the Lord. That's, that's the Bible coming alive in your prayer time. Simple scriptures, I mean, how many passages in the Bible about Jesus before he was 30? And we basically sat through a whole message about it. <laughs> because why? Because, uh, you know, Justin sat for years in the Word of God and, and literally began to sit in a room and fantasize, if that's okay to say, fantasize the Word of God. I love that. You sit there, you take a verse in a Bible, and you just... You know how we do that with movies or, you know, when you first met your girlfriend, you know, what's it going to be like in my wedding day, you know, Jody and Matt, they're getting married soon. So they're probably thinking about that wedding day all the time, you know, thinking about coming down the aisle, you know. And we think about, oh, what's that going to look like, right? I mean, you know, what's that the night before your wedding when you you can't sleep, right? Like you're thinking about your wedding day. You're thinking about what that day is going to look like, and you can almost visualize, Right? You can visualize yourself. Maybe you've never actually walked down that aisle, but you can visualize yourself. You can see with everything in you, right? And that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. We're supposed to get in this thing, and we're supposed to close our eyes. And I may have never seen it. I may have never touched it, but I can close it. And in here, in the, in the secret place of my heart, I can visualize it come to life. 
That's what we did last week, and I believe that's what we're going to do today, and I want to encourage you. That's what the Bible is supposed to be in your life. You're supposed to get this thing in you, and then all of a sudden just close it and put it away. Like literally you get something, you put it away. Don't throw it. You know, one time my son threw my Bible in my car, and he got in trouble. (laughs) And I wanted him to feel it. Like, no, this is holy before the Lord. Don't just throw it like that. You know, he didn't mean it. He's like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm like, but that's the word of God. I've had the same Bible since, what was this, since 2000 and, 2007, <laughs> right? Since 2007, I had that Bible. I treasure it, right? And then I'm thinking back to when Pastor Joel was here and he gave you that Bible, Pastor George. I believe the Lord is calling us to be people of the Word of God. Like, if that's all they ever said about you, it's like, man, I don't know what he does, this, but that, that person, yeah, he knows the Bible. I don't know, yeah, you know, working on their character in a little bit. <laughs> working on, you know, I don't know, they, you know, messed up and they messed up here. Maybe this is their second marriage. I don't know. But I've seen the Bible start to come out of their mouth lately. Identify yourself with being a person of the Word of God. Guys, this is our safety. I'm saying all this because what I'm about to get into is a little heavy here in a second. So I'm trying to, trying to let you trust me for a minute. <laughs> Just trust me. Trust me, the word of God is not something to be afraid of. It's something to desire. Because I'm talking a little bit about the second coming here in a second today. But I want to prep it with a reality, and this is what the Lord, and and I I believe I have a a quote back there that um, you can put up there, Victor, if you still have it. And I'm going to read it to you. It's the first quote I sent you about God's humility. And this is kind of like the heartbeat behind my message. We will never fully comprehend God's humility and his unrelenting passion to save us from our sin. This statement carries so much weight. We'll never fully comprehend God's humility and his unrelenting passion to save us from our sin. And this is primarily in the first coming. So in the first coming of Jesus, right, it's a beautiful Christmas decorations in here. We're in the Christmas season. So, I, you know, it's all, of course, in my heart, actually, for myself for the last couple years, when, uh, during Christmas time, I like to study the person of Jesus. I like to make it a point to stir, study the humanity of Jesus, to study, because, you know, we talk about the baby in a manger, but what is that? What is that, that topic? What is this Christmas season all about? God became a man. We can never fully comprehend the humility of Jesus. That's what that statement is saying. We can never fully comprehend. You will never be able to put up that picture I, told you, I showed you. I'm going to put a little, little Christmas. I told you it was a Christmas message. <laughs> it's going to be the weirdest Christmas message you ever heard once we're over. Trust me. <laughs> there it is. It's so cute. Come on, everybody go, ah. My daughter is one of the, you know, the main speaker, one of the main uh, uh, lead roles in the upcoming play. And I'm practicing with her the lines. And so I'm hearing the passages, you know, in Bethlehem. And it's such a glorious story. And so put it up there. Leave it up there for a minute. I want to just leave it up there. And it's such a glorious story. We know this story. We can talk about it, right? It's a true reason. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? That baby right there. Now, now zone in on that baby for a second. You will never fully comprehend what that means. Never. For all of eternity, in a billion years from now, you will still be diving into the reality of God born in a dirty stinky, smelly, stormy night, right? I don't know what the environment, but the environment, holy God, transcendent, 
for all eternity, we're going to look at that and we're going to look at Jesus and how, I don't understand. How can that God, right? It's like, it's like looking at the Empire State Building. How can the Empire State Building fill, fit in my trunk? <laughs> God, go into a body. Immovable, unapproachable, light beyond light. You understand in eternity there will be no sun because Jesus will be the light. Do you know that? Like literally he will shine bright, so bright, that the Bible says the sun will be ashamed. It will be embarrassed. <laughs> You ever, you ever see someone turn on a light during the daytime? You can barely see it. That's the, that's the sun in eternity when Jesus shines. Jesus fit all of that glory into a little six-pound crying, wipe, wipe, their, wipe their behind, change their diaper, huh. pooping on himself. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I mean, guys. God, God, relying on his mother, relying on Mary. You know, a lot of people in the Christian church, sometimes they kind of say, oh, you know, we're not supposed to pray to Mary. You know, be careful what you say about Jesus' mama. You don't want to get to heaven and he say, what would you say about my mama? (laughs) I stole that joke, but it's still good. Mary, right? Jesus relying on Mary. God relying on humanity. What? Guys, for billions and billions of years, this is this picture, <laughs> it's not just a pretty picture. Billions of years, we'll say, God had to rely on a, on a woman, on a, on a woman, a real woman, <laughs> that he created her and formed her in her mother's womb. I mean, <sighs> back to that statement, we will never fully comprehend God's humility. You know why I made that statement too? Because it's, it's a, there's a reason behind it, the next part, which is his unrelenting passion to save us from our sins. Because his humility is tied to his passion to save you from your sin. So when you begin to see God for his, who he truly is, the, you know, when you begin to put the knowledge of God as one of your primary studies in the Bible, is answering that question, who is God? That's the greatest question you'll ever have, ever. The greatest question that ever comes to your mind, who is God? When you begin to answer that question as you study and dive and, 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 and fall on your knees and come up here and get prayed for and wipe off your tears and your boogers and your mocos and all that stuff because Jesus is so beautiful and you get a little glimpse every single time you see more and more of him, then you begin to look back and realize his humility when he became a man and a baby. Because, and then you say, wait, it's the only reason he will do all of this. It's because his unrelenting passion to save you from your sins. So then you have to ask yourself that question of, if he would do all of that for, against sin, literally the point of it all was to redeem us of our sin, then how does God feel about sin? Think about it. All of this. All the story is all based on the fact that he must come to save us from our sins. So then ask yourself, how does he feel about sin? How does he feel about it? I don't know. It's, 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 it's a topic that we don't like to discuss in the church, right? It's a, it's a topic no one wants to talk about. We're going to get there, though. That was my introduction. All right, let's go. Luke 1, 26. I'm reminding you of this story. 
Now in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by, the, by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth and a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and having come in her rejoice, having highly, highly unfavored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now think about, as I begin to continue read this, I want you to think about how the angel is telling Mary she's blessed. When What's about to take place in Mary's life, if you've ever seen the movie Passion, remember what Mary went through when Jesus went to the cross? It's one of my favorite pictures of it. It's beautiful how they portrayed it. Mary, you're blessed. And then you think about the Passion, Mary watching her son be crucified. I don't feel blessed. (laughs) Wait a second. I'm supposed to be the highly favored one. I'm supposed to be the one chosen. Chosen to what? Chosen to go through what she went through? The reason why I bring that up is because when you have an understanding of eternity, kind of like we talked about last week, like Jesus, when we understand the long-term plan, when you understand the storyline like Mary did, you're able to endure the, the temporary light afflictions like we talked about last Sunday. Those temporary light afflictions only are temporary if you understand the permanent, the eternal aspect. So, When Mary is told she's blessed and highly favored, think about what she's going to have to go through as a mother. And I know mothers in here can relate. But that's God's perspective. Church, God's perspective is not our perspective when he talks about how blessed we are. (laughs) You are so blessed. You're like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? Hold up. (laughs) I don't like that. I'm going to call you. You're going to be so blessed. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to be so called. I'm going to call you to uh, like Joseph. You know, I'm going to call you like Daniel. I'm going to raise you up like Daniel. Every single person in the Bible God comes to and tells them how chosen they are. I'm like, hold on. Do they know what's about to take place? <laughs> Go ahead. Read your Bible. Every single time. Jesus being the number one, right? He is the most holy, the most chosen, the most sought, right? He's the Messiah. And what happened to him? I mean, connect the dots. I'm not saying that to not want to be blessed. (laughs) I promise you, you want to be blessed. But our perspective of when God says we're blessed, we assume it means something that God, I don't think, means. Right? We assume when when you tell me I'm blessed, I'm highly favored, I actually just got a a word uh, uh, last week that I'm a rich man. I'm like, oh, rich? (laughs) Rich what? One becomes rich in the Bible one way. Through trials and testing, fire. Ask Job how rich he feels. I'm like, oh, something's about to come. Because <laughs> that's the, it's the upside down kingdom, guys. I'm saying all that for a reason, I promise. So keep in mind Mary's reality of her life, especially as she had to live through it when the pr- promise is being spoken to her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you say amen? So Mary, you're going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus. Now here's the part that she never actually got to see. He would be great. Great. Well, she didn't see him great on that cross, broken, beaten. She, it, was that great in the eyes of man? Or was that a great in the eyes of God? All p- perspective, guys. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of the father David. I didn't see Jesus on that throne in, in, in Mary's time, right? Where, where's this promise? 
He was get the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. Did we see Jesus reign yet? And his kingdom, there will be no end, right? So we're seeing all these promises that were given to Mary, but yet Jesus went to the cross, died, rose again, and did not fulfill in man's eyes. And I'm going to explain on this, and I'm going to make sure. Here's my point of bringing up the story of Christmas, Jesus, nativity a little bit, as a kind of a big introduction was because the problem is is we don't understand the real storyline in the church, in the Western culture. We actually don't understand it. So let me compare it for a second. So Jews, right, how many you know, people know a Jewish person? They don't celebrate Christmas, right, because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? They can't comprehend. The Bible says to the Jew, a stumbling block. They can't comprehend Messiah broken and beaten and humbled to do what Jesus did. This, I'm saying this, but this should be like Christianity 101, guys. Like we all should know this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to beat you over the head, but this, if, if you don't know that about the Jewish people, then we're learning something already. The difference between Christians and Jews is basically the Jews don't know that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So the day will come, and this is important because fast forward to the end of the story where uh, we think, oh, we're the, we're the chosen ones, we're the church, we're the remnant, right, PG? We're the chosen ones. You know what the Bible says? That us Christians will fall away and the Jews will become the ones leading us. Did you know the Bible says that? The church, the Bible says there will be a great falling away before the second coming. So be careful in judging the Jews right now. They will realize Jesus is the Messiah. The Bible says and all Jerusalem will be saved. All. Literally, all the Jewish people will get this revelation. They will open their eyes. They'll see the slain lamb. They'll understand. I mean, everything in the Bible is going to open up to them. They're going to see Jesus as the Messiah. Isaiah 53, the broken man on the cross. They're going to see the slain lamb, and they're going to understand it. And then all of a sudden, they're going to look back for us Christians, and there's going to be a great falling away. How does that happen? I believe the great falling away is a lack of knowing your Bible. You know why? It's not because the Bible is going to give you something that's special. It's because the Bible introduces you to Jesus. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and says, you know the Bible from, you know the word from front to back. You look in the Bible like if there's life in it, like if it's alive. The whole point of the Bible is to point you to me. This is to point you to Jesus. If you don't know your word and you don't know who Jesus is, you're going to fall away. And that's tough to say, I understand. But that's just, you need to understand this truth. And I pray it gives you the fear of the Lord. If you don't know the word of God, because Jesus is the word, you're going to fall away. So let's get into it a little bit. I want to put up a second picture here. Go up and put up, put up that second picture for me real quick. This is the second coming. All of us know the first coming picture, right? <laughs> oh, I'm ready to preach. We all know the first beautiful nativity scene, right? We sing the songs. We go caroling. We can sing all those songs. How many songs do you know about the second coming? <laughs> How many pictures you see preached on about the second coming? I believe all this stuff, were, and I love Christmas. Trust me, I am like a Christmas fanatic. I love Christmas. But I'm like, what is Christmas about? Are we actually celebrating the man in that manger? The baby born, humble God. The Bible says that all of heaven uh, uh, rejoices over him. All of heaven comes. When that moment happens, why is all the angels rejoicing and singing around that manger? Why is the heavens declaring Jesus as that? What is happening? Who is this baby? I mean, we got to understand this. But the reality is, church, the first coming and Christmas time is not the fullness of the story. 
The fullness, this is, this is the part the Jewish people can't understand, is the Christmas time. They can't understand the broken Jesus. And all of this is how you're supposed to walk your life out. Just for the record, take everything Jesus goes and goes, I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to walk. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to all of this so that I could rise in new life, so I could be resurrected, and I could have eternal rewards. So the story is for you as well. So just take that story, be like Jesus, and follow the, the, the pattern of success in the kingdom of God. But the second coming... How often do we hear it talked about? Thank God in this church we talk, talk about it. But as a church in general, how often do we talk about it? When we were crying out earlier and we said, fill me, Holy Spirit, I heard a phrase. I heard the, uh, and she was singing, in the waiting. Oh, Jesus. That moment was powerful. I mean, if you didn't feel the Holy Ghost in the room, let's let, cry out to the Lord and he will, he will touch you. But he was here this morning. When we were saying, in the waiting, and we were singing in the waiting, I heard this phrase that says, in the waiting, there is a longing. The purpose of that Holy Spirit that we cried out for to come in your heart and fill you is to give you a longing for Jesus. If you don't long for Jesus, you have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in there. It's a longing for Jesus in the quiet place in prayer. It's a longing for Jesus in the, uh, while you drive in your car like PG. It's a longing for Jesus everywhere you go. But the fullness of that is a longing for Jesus to see him face to face. That's the full, that's the full cup, guys. A portion of it we walk out in this life. But the fullness of these scriptures are all unto see Jesus fulfill what was told to Mary that on the throne of David he will reign. He will be a man in Jerusalem, probably about yay high. Hey, Lewis, you, can, you, can you stand up? I'm not trying to, I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. If you take a national statistic of Jewish men, I love you, bro. So humble to do that for me. If you take a national t- statistic of Jewish men about yay high, this is, have you ever thought of Jesus like that? You know that Jesus has, he does not have black hair or brown beard or anything, right? You know that? Also, Christianity 101. Jesus right now has white hair and a white beard. It's like Gandalf and, you know, Lord of the Rings. When was the last time you prayed and you pictured Jesus like that? <laughs> you shall not pass. Forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. Jesus has white hair and a white beard. It's in Revelation chapter 1. It tells us what he looks like. He's actually dressed like a priest. Jesus currently, right now, what does he look like today, right now, is dressed as a priest. He's actually in the midst of the, uh, the tabernacle of heaven doing priestly duties. The Bible says he's walking amongst the lampstand. He's checking the churches. The Bible says he serves in intercession between God and man as our great intercessor. The Bible says he sprinkles his blood over the nations of the earth. He is our great intercessor, our mediator between God and man. He is in heaven right now serving as a priest in heaven Holy before God, but he won't be there forever. I held my peace for a long, long time, but I'm going to begin to pant and gasp. Some of you know that song. I'm just making it. I'm going to begin to pant and gasp. Guys, I said the stuff I said earlier for a reason, and we're going to get into some scripture here. His panting, his gasping, his passion. In the same way he did it to humble himself to become a baby is going to be the same way he does it to judge sin 
in the end times. The exact humility it took, the passion, desire, the plan of heaven, the orchestration of everything that took place, the story of the great nativity, all of that that took place, God's plan to end sin in your life and my life. Thank you, Jesus, which he did by becoming a baby and going to the cross. That elaborate scheme of passion was all about overcoming sin. And there's an elaborate scheme passionately written out to overcome sin again and to overcome a kingdom that is rebelling against God and will rise up. Guys, I don't need to tell you the signs of the times, do I? I don't need to get into that, right? I can skip that. (laughs) For sake of time, can I skip what's happening out there? I mean, what is taking place in the nations of the earth right now should bring a fear of the Lord in your life. And the fear of the Lord brings an urgency to hate what he hates and love what he loves. Second, Second passage, or second paragraph, Victor. We will never fully comprehend God's hatred towards sin and his unrelenting passion to rid the earth of sin through his judgments. Keep it up there for a minute. We will never, just like we can never fully comprehend his humility in that manger, we will never fully comprehend his hatred towards sin, guys. You can't do it in your physical frame. You cannot comprehend how much God hates sin. You can't. You can't understand it, guys. Only way to understand it is to look at what he did to overcome sin. His hatred towards sin. I know that's a strong word, but those are the exact words I heard the Lord ask me to talk about today. Those words, his hatred towards sin. Not the sinner, sin. When God sees sin, he sees rebellion. And the rebellious one is Satan. Guys, the first sin ever was the devil in, when it was Satan, Lucifer, right? When he was a, a cherubim before the Lord in heaven, he was full of, full of music. He literally was full of music as a cherubim and a worshiper. And the Bible says that in his heart, in Ezekiel, there was found, uh, he said to himself, if I can be like the most high. So that's actually the origin of sin. That's where sin was first birthed. It wasn't in the garden. Satan was already there. The deceiver was already there. It was found in him. It was found in Lucifer when he said, I. I like to stop right there. I. Everybody say I. Oh, I could preach a message about the selfishness is the root of all sin. And it's the root of all the problems in the church. Come on, somebody say amen up in here. Okay? Think about a story you've ever heard of a pastor or leader falling. Time you were offended by a pastor or leader. Time that the church let you down. Time that you think the church was hypocritical. There's always hypocrite. What was it all pointing to? That person, that example, was something about them being about themselves and selfishness. And I would like to apologize for selfishness and the I in the church of the Christian Western world today. I repent of that before you. Because the I is what has thrown so many people to have nothing to do with church. That's a different subject. But the I is the root of sin, and this sin is what Jesus sees. When he sees sin, he sees that Lucifer who said, I will be like God. When he did that, he was cast out, the Bible says. He wasn't cast to hell. That's a whole other story. He actually rules from heaven in principalities and powers. And then eventually he'll be tossed to the earth. And then eventually, it's like a downward trend from eternity. Highest point, Satan was uh, Lucifer with God, cast out the mountain of God. Now he rules from the second heavens. Then he'll be cast to the earth for three and a half years, 1260 days, which is the end times. And that happens when, when the Antichrist 
takes his place and takes over, right? So Jesus will enter Antichrist. He will come three and a half years. Now notice, Satan will be on earth for three and a half years just as Jesus was on earth for three and a half years. Come on, the Bible just preaches itself. Next, Satan will be cast into a lake of fire. That's his downward trend. How many in the church know Satan's uh, full uh, storyline to where he ends up? People, I'm fighting the devil. I get that we got to fight the devil. I get that we got to struggle. But if you understand the Bible, if you understand the Bible, you can't be shaken, church. We need this. Amen? Come on. Let's go. Let's go a little bit quicker here. Let's go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. I want to read through a couple passages that the Lord has put on my heart. Oh, I'm doing good on time. Jesus is here. Hallelujah. While you're doing that, I'll read Psalms 45, verse 6. Shout out to my Psalm 45 people in the house. We did a couple years. We probably did what? Three years straight of Psalm 45 once a week for two hours. Psalm 45 once a week for two hours every single week. Every single week, Psalm 45, gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Ride on, for your, for your scepter is a scepter of righteousness. I mean, we, be, we just sang it over and over and over and over again. Me, Tito, and we had a couple people on our team back then. And we just, just sang this passage. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You Look at this. Here's the Bible. Now, remember earlier I said God hates sin? You want to see it in the Bible? Here it is. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, that's Trinity right there before you, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 59. Let's get into a little bit of, you know, okay, I'm going to say this before I read this passage. I'm going to smile. Hi, everybody. Everybody all right? You guys okay? We got a little something so far, but there's a little bit more. You got to get your heart right. Because if you don't got your heart in the right place when you read these passages, you can easily be confused and offended. You have to understand Jesus' heart. You have to understand all of his judgment towards sin has already been fulfilled on the cross. His judgment towards sin, all the passages you read toward sin or a sinner or the wicked has already had an opportunity to be redeemed at the cross. So everything that's going to take place against the rebellion, and I like to word it like that on purpose, the rebellion, because it's a rebellion. It's either with God or against God. It's Satan who took two-thirds of heaven with him. It is Satan versus Jesus, versus the kingdom of God, versus the kingdom of darkness. This is a war that we are entering into, and that war that has been going on in the spirit realm for years. And I actually miss some of those teachings from the 90s, you know, a lot of the spirit realm, you know, the power of principality. We We need a little understanding on this stuff. Some of you guys used to be real big on this before, and I used to remember hearing more about it, and it's been a while. Maybe it's something we can pray into. But understanding that what's been already taking place in the spirit realm is about to come into the physical realm. Just as it did, right, when Jesus, spiritual, God, became a man, physical. In the same way, Satan, right, spiritual, becomes a man, Antichrist. I mean, you got to understand, this is all reality. It's really going to happen. You need to understand your Bible. Psalm, but Isaiah 59, reading through it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, verse 1. 
that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sin has separated you. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. God's hand is not short that he can't save. It's not his fault. He has provided opportunity after opportunity for so many people. And I have the fear of the Lord on my life. Imagine if I were to turn from God with what I have learned, how much I have seen Jesus, how much he has set me free of. I mean, we think it's impossible. Many of you are in this room right now. You go, it is impossible for me to ever turn away from God. And and that's a good heart. I'm not saying that's bad. I feel that way myself. It's impossible. But I, I have to understand it's actually something I have to walk out every single day. Because there was many people sitting in this room a year ago that thought the same thing. And what is a deciding factor that has separated them from God? Sin. Sin. It's a simple answer. Sin. Wickedness. Iniquity. Whatever you want to call it. Transgression. This is what hardens your heart and causes you to fall away from God. Even though you may have gone to an encounter, you might have got set free, you might have come and and wiggled and shaked and fell, and all that's great. But when you get up, how do you walk your life out with God? This is the difference. The the filling of the Holy Spirit, filling God, allows you to feel his nearness, his closeness. He is near. He cares. But his grace is sufficient for you to walk out your life free of sin. And, And honestly, sin is oppression. So many of you might feel that right now in the room. Like, you're struggling, you're thinking in your head, like, I know I'm not perfect, and, and trust me, I, I'm not perfect. There's something in the back of your mind that goes, I still struggle with that, I still struggle with that. Doesn't that feel heavy? That's not how God has ordained you to walk out your Christian life. He's actually given you grace to overcome that heaviness that you feel. You can, look at me, you can be free of it. You can be free of it. If you say you can't, then you say his blood is not enough for you. You can be free of that sin. What happened in the church for us striving after that again? Going after it again. Going after what what does Jesus look like? That's our picture. That's what we want to look at. God's not, his hand's not short that he can't save. It's not his fault. Your iniquities have separated you from God. And your sins, oh Jesus, what what a verse that brings the fear of the Lord on my heart. Your sins have hidden his face from you so you that, that he will not hear that brings a fear of the Lord on my heart Lord don't hide your face from me Jesus oh if I ever get to a place where everybody else is <laughs> you know like you said earlier PG that's a heart you know I, I love that the Lord allows him to speak in, in, in boldness man because it's hard to say hey if you don't feel nothing right now then I don't know what's wrong with you but you know what it's true <laughs> It's true when the Holy Spirit's in the room and your heart is hard and you're going like that. It's like something is wrong, guys. We need, you need to address your heart before the Lord. Now, is it possible that maybe today you didn't really connect? Okay, that every once in a while. But if that's a pattern in your life, if that is a pattern, your heart is getting hard. <laughs> Sorry. PG said check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's why I giggled. Tells you how old he is. <laughs> Look at verse 7, Isaiah 59, verse 7. Are we still friends, everyone? Are we good? Look at the person next to you say, this is it. It's getting good. Don't run. <laughs> oh, I just, I'm just so excited when I get rebuked by, by uh, Pastor Janice. <sighs> I'm just so excited to get rebuked by such a sweet lady. Guys, when, the, the rebuke of the Lord is good. It's healthy. 
The church doesn't like to be corrected. That is pride. Rebuke me, Lord. Correct me, Lord. Cleanse me. Don't allow me to go in my ways. The Bible says it wasn't until you afflicted me, I went astray, and then I came back, Lord. Thank you for that, that situation you put in my life. Thank you for that, 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 that problem I had with my finances. Thank you for the problem I had in my marriage where I realized my marriage wasn't all that. Oh, come on, somebody. God allows things to happen, allows. He may not do them, but he allows. My son, if he goes to touch that stove when he's too young, I'm, gonna, I'm not putting his hand on the stove, but I'm standing back. Go ahead. See what happens. <laughs> ah! Now you learn. <laughs> Pain brought you knowledge. Oh, Jesus. Put the second coming picture back up. I want you to leave that second picture back up. I got another one for you, similar. The, Pastor Reinhardt used to say this. He goes, he goes, if you turn the stove up hot... The flies will not land on it. <laughs> get you the fire of God, and I bet you all the demons will flee. Come on, somebody. I get attacked in the night. I got struggle with this. I struggle with that. Get on fire for Jesus. Fall in love. Let the boogers come out your nose, and your heart will be soft, and I guarantee you will grow in your relationship with the Lord. That is literally the secret sauce. <laughs> I mean, not everybody cries like that, but I cry like that, and I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, I... I went, what were you, oh, we were, you know, at a place yesterday or two days ago at a dealership, and the lady was saying something about soft movies, and she said, you know, oh, I'm not a crier, and my, all my kids all at the same time. Dad's a crier for everything. Dad's a, dad cries every time for everything. I'm like, that's my testimony. That's my testimony. I'm okay with that. Lord, but the day I, I grow older and I got my white beard and I, can't, I feel God's presence and I go, eh, I got to get out of here. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's what I'm fearful of. We love you, Jesus. Look at Isaiah 59, verse 7. This is God speaking. He's correcting uh, the Jerusalem. He's correcting Israel for a reason, but it's correcting the church. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Right now, there's actually, the debate was going on. Roe versus Wade was back on the Supreme Court. I'm not getting into politics. But innocent blood has been shed for years and years and years. And the Bible says that the blood from the altar will cry out, How long, Lord, till you avenge us? Oh, Jesus. When we were praying, I saw a word. I was looking at the word justice. And I went to do the, the Strong's definition. The word justice wasn't even there. All it said was judgment. And I went to that word. It's misfat, which is the word for justice in the New King James, which is actually in the King James and in the, in the Greek, the word judgment. The word justice is the word judgment. It's the same word in your Bible. Let justice flow like a river. You ever heard that prayer? Let your judgments flow like a river. It's a little bit different now. The Lord reigns, right? His justice goes out to the earth, his judgments. But we don't like to see it that way because it's uncomfortable. But what is he judging? He is judging a heart. He is judging a heart that is in full rebellion against him. I'm going to say this and I'll move on. Just so you know where the picture goes. Right now, it's a simple no, 
to, uh, you know, it's a simple no to gathering in prayer. It's a simple no to gathering to worship because of this reason and that reason. Those simple no's will turn into a clear no toward Jesus in 10 years. And I think that's a long time. I might, it was probably sooner than that. <laughs> that no that looks like something else is going to turn into a clear no, guys. That's what's coming on the land. And so when they shake their fist at God and they want nothing to do with him, understand how Jesus hates sin and justice to him is returning to remove that sin from the earth. And he did it rightly in the spiritual realm in the nativity, right? He did it rightly as the baby in the manger. He did it rightly as the lamb of God. In the spirit, you are free of sin. But in the natural, sin still rules. The Bible says the devil is the prince of the air. He's the ruler of this age. He is in charge of the, of the natural realm allowed. Why? Why does God do these things, right? To test us, to purify us, to let us lean on Jesus. I remember one person, actually it was Justin Rizzo, saying that one time when I went to IHOP, and I'll never forget it. As he began to sing about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, what he said was, and it's like an everyday say, he probably did it a million times, but it stuck with me for 15 years. It was, Lord, he was basically singing, we need the Holy Spirit so we can lean on the Holy Spirit. And the reason for the Holy Spirit is because we realize we cannot do this without God. And all those sins surrounding us, all the temptations, all the struggles, all the things in your past when you were a kid, all those things have done one thing, forced you to be dependent on Holy Spirit, that you must, must talk to him, walk with him, worship with him, ask him how to understand your Bible, help you to understand God's ways. You must rely on Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You must rely on the Spirit. You must learn to walk in the Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is with us. Let's keep going a little bit here. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 12. It's about to get real serious. This whole passage, this whole teaching was coming out, was birthed out of Ezekiel. So if you want some of this heart, go to Ezekiel, eat it up. If you haven't read Ezekiel in a while, I recommend it. But like I said, you got to know the word of God to read it with the right heart. Because you can read it, and this happens all the time, right? You read the Bible and you don't understand it. You don't understand why God, well, that just must mean Old Testament God. And so all you do, because you don't understand it, all you do is you write it off as that's Old Testament God. Because you have no understanding. Instead of going, God, why were you like that in the Old Testament? Instead of going, that's Old Testament God, he's not like that anymore. Ask this question, why were you like that? And is that something that's still, is that still in your heart towards sin, God? Do you still hate sin? Do you still judge sin with that same passion? Do you still have the same desire to see the world free of sin? Do you still have the same, hear this, brokenness towards sin? Oh, Jesus if you read the beginning of Ezekiel, if you read the beginning of Jeremiah, one of the most powerful, hard-hitting word of the Lord says to you, why would you prophesy if I did not give you a prophecy? Why would you say peace, peace when there is no peace? Who told you that you dreamed that dream when I didn't give you that dream? Right? We hear these words, but we don't hear God's heart right before it. Right? Jeremiah 2, in the wilderness, when I sought for you, you weren't there. You, you didn't hear me. You didn't, my heart is broken. Go find yourself, uh, uh, Hosea, a wife, and that cheats on you. In adultery, now you're going to understand, Hosea, what I've been through. So we understand, we think God is so full of wrath in the Old Testament, but we don't understand his brokenness as a husband. He was married to Israel. He is married to you. 
So before the judgment came was the brokenness of God and being left in adultery, basically. And the Bible says this in Proverbs, one of my favorite passages about the end times. It says, a husband's wrath has no fury. A husband's wrath, the jealousy of a husband, I mean, I don't want to get into that, <laughs> but if any of y'all try to talk to my wife <laughs> in a certain way, we're going to have some problems. <laughs> a husband's fury, guys, the passion of a husband, when his wife is pulled away from him, that passion is the heart of God when he returns for you. What I said earlier about longing for the bridegroom, that longing, that waiting, in the waiting, what's supposed to happen when Holy Spirit comes in this room? What's supposed to happen as you walk with Holy Spirit every day? That deep longing and desire for Jesus grows more passionate and more passionate and more passionate till it comes to a climax at the end times when all the earth is crying out for the return of the Lord because we love him and desire him and we want justice. And justice means judgments. Ezekiel 8, hallelujah. Look at verse 5. Hope you're learning something this morning. Then he said to me, son of man, lift your eyes toward the north. So I lift my eyes toward the north, and there was north of the altar gate was the image of jealousy in the entrance. Verse 6. Furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Oh, Jesus, I feel the heart for the church in this. It's a great falling away coming, guys. It's the heart of my message. There's a great falling away. The church will be deceived and turn from Jesus. That's why this message needs to be preached, to bring that fear of the Lord in you. You can't mess with sin. You can't allow sin in your household. You cannot welcome it. Let the word of the Lord convict all of us, including myself. We can't allow it because as it grows and the seed comes and it, and it bears fruit in our children and the things that we, the culture we allow our children to walk in day by day, parents in here right now, don't be afraid to put your, your whip down. You know what I mean? You know what the Bible says. I ain't going to quote it. Saca la correa, boy. La chancleta, the holy chancleta. Parents, the culture you're creating for your kids is the generation of the Lord's return. Those are the ones that will be preaching and reaching the lost in that time. What, what is going to be their heart? How will they live before the Lord? All these things matter. That's why we're preaching these messages. Verse 9, and he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there. So I went in and I saw every sort of creeping theme, abominable beast, and all the idols. Everybody say idols. All the idols of the house of Israel portrayed on the walls. He could see the idols. I remember one time I preached, I talked about the people of Israel when Moses went up to get the word of the Lord. By the time he got back, they already had an idol. By the time he even returned with the word of the Lord, they were so impatient. Uh-oh. In the waiting. So impatient on the timing that it took to get the answer to their, their prayer. They, for, they took that as God not being God because it wasn't the answer in the timing that they wanted. Come on, church. Look at verse 13. It gets good. And he said to me, turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they're doing. So he brought me to the door, door of the north gate of the Lord's house. Everybody say Lord's house. And to my dismay, there were women there sitting weeping for Tammuz, which is a god. 
And he said, son of man, have you seen turn again and see greater abominations? So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house and there at the door of the temple between the porch and the altar. Now, guys, this is key. The porch and the altar in the, in the house of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord, is the place of intercession. It's the place of petition. It's the place of requests before the Lord. It's the place where the priests stand on behalf of the people, our people, the lost. What does end times understanding get? Because I'm not going to be able to cover it all today. What is you going after uh, the return of the Lord get for you? What is you understanding your Bible get for you? The lost, a heart for the lost. When I read these passages, when I read the passages of the judgments of the Lord coming, one of the things that come on my heart is a heart for the lost. And not only lost like the way you think about it. Leonard Ravenhill says the most scariest thing on the planet is not a, not a person that says denies Jesus. It's a Christian that's just coasting. Coasting his way to hell. And I say that with the fear of the Lord in my heart. A coaster, just coasting. On cruise control, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't dive in, no conviction. When conviction comes, he goes, eh, that's Old Testament, or that's something else, or that's religious, or that's this. This is the heart of Jesus in this hour. The loss to me is those are going to fall away. I don't, that's whether they're saved right now or not is irrelevant. The lost are those that are going to fall away from lack of understanding as well. Turn your Bible to another passage, Revelation 19, 11. Put that, uh, you can just turn in your Bible, put the picture back up there for me. Revelation 19, 11. Put the picture of the second coming back up for me. Remember I talked about fantasizing. <laughs> oh, I just sit there sometimes. I say, Lord, what is it going to look like? The way we sing these songs, away in a manger, right? We sing them. We, 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 we glory on that day, but all of heaven, all of heaven is waiting for this day. All of heaven. All of heaven is in anticipation for this day. In Revelation at the seventh trumpet, the Bible says that heaven breaks out in song. Just the same way they did when Jesus was born in the manger. At the sound of the seventh trumpet, all of heaven breaks out in song and says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of Christ. And he will reign and, and, and he will bring rewards to this people. They're singing the same song they did in the manger. Jesus is splitting the sky. This moment is our blessed hope. It's called our blessed hope. Hope. It is literally what you live for. Guys, what we talked about last Sunday, what Justin talked about, when you're going through something, when something is happening to you, when your eyes are set on eternity, this is what we're setting our eyes on. I know it's not a popular message. I get it. And I know it may be difficult to understand, but it is 150 chapters in your Bible. 150. 150 chapters in your Bible. Every single book of the 66 books talks about this day. Every book talks of the day coming. The book of Jude, one chapter talks about this. <laughs> the book of Jude says 10,000 times 10,000 saints will come in flaming fire and glory. It's glorious. In 2 Peter, the Bible says that do this to remind the saints. I'm reminding you today of what you're living toward. I'm reminding you today that your life that you're living is not, for, is not unto nothing. It's not unto what you see in the physical realm. You're living for a reward. Revelation 19, 11. Look at that picture. Look at the picture, and I'll read it for you so we can fantasize a little bit. Look at this picture. 
And this is what's glorious. This is what's to come. Revelation 19.11 says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. That's beautiful. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Does that offend you? Does that offend you? I told you it was a Christmas message. (laughs) He has a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Oh, Jesus. Convict our hearts right now, Lord Jesus. I have been, I started two weeks ago of like just a different routine with my Bible. And I'm trying to bring this into 2022. I didn't want to wait for January 1st. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anybody that waits till January 1st sometimes. <laughs> like I started losing weight last year in, in November. Because <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to wait till January 1st. And then something's like, if that's your mentality, something's wrong. If you're like, well, on January 1st, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read my Bible 20 minutes every morning starting on the 1st. No, start tomorrow. <laughs> start tomorrow, church. Make the word of God a priority in your life. Dive into it. Read the love letter from your papa. Read the love letter from your creator. You don't know who you are, church? Read what daddy says about you. If you don't understand it, if you don't look at the Bible this way, you're going to be bored with it. It's an adventure with God. We weren't there to see all this take place. You can close your eyes and be there by the word of the Lord, by the spirit of God. How many of you have ever read a passage and had had an encounter where you've seen that passage in a dream, a vision, where you've actually seen the Bible before? Put your hands up real high. How many have ever seen that before? I have. I've seen the Bible actually real life. I've seen actually this scripture. That's why it's so real to me. I saw Jesus coming, open the sky. I saw him pull a sword and everything. And I'll never forget that passage. I've shared this with my students because in that dream, that, that vision, it was a powerful evening. Uh, PG, I'm sure you were there. It was, a, it was a, a, like a blow the trumpet in the middle of the day of, of OHOP where we literally canceled everything. We said, everyone, stop what you're doing. Cancel the classes. Go to the, we have to stop every, it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone had plans for the whole day. Remember this, Elliot? Where everybody had to cancel and we all had to come into the prayer room because the word of the Lord was there. And John Melinda was preaching. And it was the word of the Lord. And you, wow. You know what that word was, PG? That word was Romans 2. Jesus, I just realized that. Oh. Oh. Romans 1 and 2 was his encounter that day when he preached. You know what that Romans 1 and 2 says? Woe to you who say, don't lie when you lie yourself. Woe to you who say, do not commit adultery when you commit adultery. Basically, don't be a hypocrite. All about sin. Literally, the call went out. The trumpet was, we literally said, everybody canceled everything. The message was on sin. I still remember this. I fell to the floor. I was weeping before the Lord. And Missy Edwards was singing, out of Zion comes this one. She was basically singing this passage, Isaiah 63, which is out of, uh, uh, um, out of, out of Zion. No, this, uh, Isaiah 63, out of Jordan. Out of Jordan, he comes with robes dipped in blood. And the Bible says that, who is this? Who is this? Out of Edom. That's Isaiah 63. Who is this? You can't, I can't recognize this Jesus. Isaiah 63 is different from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Get this, church. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Us Christians understand that. Jews do not. Isaiah 63 is Jesus coming to bring vengeance on sin and take over as king. Jews understand that. Christians don't. 
Isaiah 53, we get that one, right? Which is the, the lamb who was slain, by his stripes we are healed. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, we all love that. But why do we only want half of Jesus? Why do we only want to understand half of who he is? Husbands and wives, you know this. In a relationship, you must know who he fully is. When you're in the honeymoon stage, right, you got the Jesus with the cheat hair. I say cheat. Is, what is it? Straightened is the word? Straightened. Jesus got the straightened hair. He's got the perfect beard in the gospel movies. Remember? He's smiling. Come on. Come to me, all who are weary. Son. I will give you rest. Jesus is like, wow. We're like, wow, we love this Jesus. He's great. He's nice to be around. And it's still the same Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we look a little bit deeper into Jesus. And we see him, and we're like, whoa, Isaiah 63, who is this? Isaiah is already an old man. He's been prophesying about Jesus for years and years. As a little boy, he encountered God, and he can't recognize this Jesus. He doesn't understand who he is. Who is this Jesus with blood-stained robes? You know why this is important? I'm not like some weirdo that likes talking about this stuff. It's because I'm guarding my heart from being offended at that Jesus. Did you hear that? The word of God and understanding this is guarding your heart from being offended at that Jesus. You got to understand that. You got to get that. That's why we long for him. That's why, because we trust his leadership. I'm going to end with one more passage here. Go ahead and stand for me. There's three things I want to pray for, and then we will release you guys. There's no altar call, like I said. This is for you to take home and dive into the Word of God. I pray it's just going to launch you into 2022. It's like, Lord, I want to see all of Jesus. I don't want to just see one part of Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 17. Many of you know this verse. But let it come into your heart afresh. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whatever, whoever desires, let him drink of the water of life freely. And then the verse before that, go to actually uh, verse 16. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Everybody say, come. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Repeat that with me. The spirit and the bride say come put your hands out before the Lord Holy Spirit you've been here with us you have filled us but this is all unto a purpose you're drawing near to us to get us a heart to long in the waiting in the midst of the waiting we want to be longing Holy Spirit we want to be longing for our bridegroom we want to be longing for the one who we trust come on just begin to pray for a minute Lord, we want this heart. We want to be people that live with eternity in our mind. We want to understand your hatred towards sin, your judgment towards sin. We want to understand, Lord God, the oppression that comes with sin and how passionate you are to rid the earth of sin. Jesus, we want to partner in that passion. Come on, pray in that. Pray that right now before the Lord. We want to partner in that passion, your passion towards sin. I want to hate what you hate. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate, God. I want to love what you love. Mature me, God. Build me up that I would long for this day. I pray three things over our congregation right now. 
Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.